be with the coach. Dean Twenty Radio, your gamers' role. Welcome to the latest episode of Transmissions from the Ninth World. I'm your host, David Brown, followed, uh, joined by our co-hosts, Eric Coates. Howdy. And Jim Ryan. Yeah, my lord! <laughs> Hold uh, and, I'm here. Sorry. I'm <laughs> and uh, our, our esteemed guests uh, today are uh, returning for his third uh, time with us, uh, Monty Cook. Hello again. Hello, and... With him is Shauna Germain. Hello. Wonderful to have you with us for your first time. We'll we'll get to know you a little bit. And this episode is going to specifically uh, zero down on the setting since uh, Monty and Shauna are the main contributors of the setting aspect of Numenera. We want to get to know it a little bit more. And I'm sure uh, a lot of people, even playtesters, are going to be very eager to hear some of this. So... Um, uh, as I've said on last episode, there's not really much Numenera news other than actually having these two on. So the one thing I did want to throw out real quick, brief, brief mention, we were nominated for an any. So uh, any voting is going on right now uh, and is going on through August 31st. So uh, if you're a fan of the show and haven't voted yet, please do so. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Proceed. Yes, yes. So uh, we'll get right into it. And I want to know more about uh, Shauna Germain. So Shauna, um, talk to us a little bit about your background. Um, from what what I've read, you're an established writer yourself. What are you reading that tells you that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the rumors, you know. It's, a, it's, it's establishedwriters.com. Aren't, haven't you been to that? Isn't that a .org? I mean, oh, <laughs> that's my bad. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been a writer for, uh, I'm going to show my age, about 20, almost 25 years. So you're um, 27? Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I started young. I'm a prodigy. 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 See, I'm, now I'm going to scrub the big words. <laughs> that's why I write. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier to type them to pronounce them. At least that's what I find. I, hell, I can even type them. What am I saying? <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you have some interesting uh, titles tied to your name, Lexamaven. Lexamaven. That's a made up word, but I've noticed that more and more people are using it. So I feel very proud to have contributed to that. I'm going to take all the credit. I like it. I like it. Uh, Schrodinger's Brat, which is great. <laughs> and Vorpal Blonde. Um, great uh, reference there. And uh, I guess it, it holds true. Yeah, I would say that the writers who have me as an editor, yeah, they, they would probably say that it's very true. <laughs> Cutting to the quick, I guess. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we can't can't dismiss the fact that you are co-owner of Monty Cook Games. Yes. Excellent. And um, part of that entails being lead editor of Numenera. So what role, what does that mean? What, what does that function in the Numenera product line? 
Um, well, it's kind of an awesome, for me, it's, it's really wonderful because it means I get to have my fingers in, in a lot of different pots. And so, you know, I get to do a little bit of the writing and I get to do some of the, the most of the actual editing in terms of making sure that the book has, um, is really cohesive and coherent. Um, and then of course I get to manage all of the artists and the layout crew. And so I get often get first dibs at looking at the art that's going into the book. Um, and then Monty and I work really closely together to make sure that the voice is right and that we have all the information that we need to make a great book. Um, and that we're giving the players everything that they, that they want and some things that they, they don't even know that they want. Very cool. So you're, you have a mind reading session to achieve that? Yes. Yeah, well, that was part of the play test. Very nice. Uh, Very nice. Please wear these caps. Don't worry. How to mind read. It's fine. So, so would you call yourself an editing nano who reads minds? No. I'm just I will now, yes. Excellent. Uh, there's another business card in the works. Yes. Uh, yeah. we, uh, unfortunately, we already made our first round, so I can't steal it, but I'll do it for okay. the next one. Excellent. <laughs> and, and for those not in the know, uh, uh, Shauna has shared that the uh, business cards that are being printed uh, will have a uh, Numenera-esque, uh, uh, I guess, line for you guys each. Yeah, everybody has a back that, that is their version of I'm a blank blank who blanks based on their role in the company. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Uh, so what, you know, I know you've written at least one of the um, stories in the Tales of the Ninth World anthology. Um, what more should we look forward to seeing as uh, contributions uh, aside from your contributions within the books? Um, can you ask the question a different way? I'm sorry. Oh, oh no, not a problem. <laughs> Um, so yes, only makes sense this time. Yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, that's just going to blow the whole show now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I guess my point being is in like a, a, a core, core rule book type thing. There's not like calls out of who's written what. Right. Um, so some of that work, it's, it's hard for us to see where your con contributions are. Um, I guess what I was asking is, can we expect maybe more short fiction from you guys uh, and you, you in particular? Uh... Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've definitely talked about doing a second anthology and um, we're talking about possibly doing some novels in the future. So there's definitely a fiction element. Um, we also have, can I talk about Glimmers? Yes. Okay. We talked about Glimmers okay. last week. That's right. So we also have Glimmers sort of much shorter uh, ebook only products that have a really cool focus or slant. And so I anticipate that I'll be doing some of those as well, um, which is really exciting because it's, it's a chance to turn something around really quickly and, and give players something new um, and exciting. Very cool. We're also doing a, uh, a, a set of three adventures um, that, uh, well, the, in the Kickstarter, they were pitched as as individual, really short little products, but we've decided to collect them into one product Very nice. uh, called The Devil's Spine. And Shauna wrote one of the three uh, main adventures in that. But, you know, really, I think it, it speaks a lot to um, Shauna's editing ability as well as the editing ability of... Uh, someone else that we worked with on the Numenera core book, Ray Valise, uh -huh. that 
you know, Shauna did contribute parts, for example, to the core book here and there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it all fits together very seamlessly. Uh, And I always think that's a mark of a good editor who can kind of bring a number of different voices together and and make it all seem cohesive. Absolutely. And and I should add that um, the the hosts, other hosts and I have been privileged to see a a pre-production version of the core rulebook. So I can speak to exactly what you're what you're speaking what you're talking about, and that's I guess where I was going with that is that it does look so seamless, and I know that you made con- contributions, Shauna. So I wanted to, you know, I guess how can we tell it's you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> There's no stamps you know, I, on any of it. I yeah. think that you can't. And here's here's why I'm going to say that is because even our our editor Ray that Monty was just talking about, mm-hmm. when he was picking out pieces that he thought that I had written, he didn't get them right. Nice. Um, and so if anybody was going to know my writing style, I think it would be him. Um, and so and and so I, I don't out from the core book, and I do think that that's a good thing. Well, and here's and here's the thing, right? Um, Part of that comes from the fact that uh, the parts of parts of the writing work. I mean, Shauna was the lead editor of the entire Numenera core book, mm-hmm. but part the parts that where she contributed also some writing. It's almost almost exclusively in the setting chapter, and the setting chapter is designed to be written or, or or rather it it is designed specifically so that it feels like it has a number of different voices. Um, when we're describing different sections, we kind of present them in different ways, uh, from different points of view. Um, and sometimes it's, it's in a character's voice. Right. So the pieces in the steadfast, for example, because it's more of a coherent place, um, and it's, it's got a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word is, but all of that sounds the same um, and and purposely so. But then when you get out into the beyond and of course into the beyond the beyond, Mm -hmm. the voices of places start to get really different. Um, And that was very purposeful. We want each place to be um, clearly it's its own distinct voice. Very cool. And and you've, You've segued away nicely for me, but you're a little ahead of the the curve. I didn't well, want to touch on the fact we were helping you out. You, you were no, you guys were great. I just didn't want to leave behind the fact that um, uh, to give Shauna a specific mention of the work that she's done uh, and the specific recent titles that you've got out there. Do you mean not not New yes, Era? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. New Era. <laughs> I was like. Um, so, uh, so this year, uh, I had a book out from HarperCollins called um, Leatherbound, which is an erotic novel. And I have a store, um, a collection by Broken Eye Books about Faye that's coming out. And then I have um, a novella coming out later this year. And uh, I have a nonfiction book coming out at the beginning of next year. Um, and I think that's it. Numenera is keeping me pretty busy. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so that list is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, uh, and I, you know, I tend to do this in our things. I tend to lead these uh, discussions very heavily, so I want to take a step back and make sure that Eric and Jim don't have any specific questions before we we move into the setting of Numenera. Well, there is one thing I did want to, that uh, I, you touched on actually during the uh, when you were when you're talking about how uh, they had trouble telling. Uh, necessarily which which bits you wrote 
uh, in the uh, in the book. And I find that interesting because uh, looking at Tales of the Ninth World, um, there's uh, you know the first story. Uh, one story is in there by Monty. One story is in there by Shauna, and then the, the third story is by both of you. Um, but uh, in looking at it, they all they all seem like very three three very distinct voices. And uh, it's uh, yes, yes, it's a, it's an amazing illusion. Um, and uh, so I thought that was uh, that was very interesting that uh, you you were able to set that up. Um, and in when I was reading the third story. I I could uh, because a lot of times when when I when I read stories by dual authors I try to think okay who uh, you know it's not maybe I can't necessarily even tell who wrote what bit but I try to at least try to figure out if there's a demarcation where it's like one person does this and then the other one picks up but I can't seem to find it in there and that is also extraordinarily difficult to do because it, for, for a story that's in the first person as that last story is and so I was just curious if there was any sort of a, how did you do that? Basically, is my question. Uh, we each wrote we every can't. other word. <laughs> nice. So it's a big game of Happy Birthday Robot. Awesome. <laughs> um, I think it's that's really interesting because you know Monty and I both write fiction as well as as game stuff, and you know for me, I've had I think probably three hundred short stories published in the course of my career. Mm. And they all sound different. Voice is really important to me. And, and the voice of my character is is so much more important than my own voice. Um, and so that's one of my strengths as a fiction writer. Um, yeah. and so I think that that allows a lot more variety than you might otherwise see. Did you call yourself a, a uh, method writer? No, I'm just kidding. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I, I meant like a method actor, but I was... I was a <laughs> method writer bury yourself in your character yes yeah, I guess <laughs> well, so. yeah very much so allow them to breathe through you in a stanislavskian <laughs> fashion yes and you must wear all black that's vitally important <laughs> i just failed all of those <laughs> good <laughs> you're ahead of the game gets then. in the way of getting the writing done <laughs> all right well excellent um well it's certainly a pleasure to have you on here shauna so Let's talk about and, and pick up that nice segue you guys gave me, the setting of Numenera, life in the ninth world. Um, so let's let's take uh, potential players, you know, future players into the mind uh, and the world and see what it would be like to live in Numenera. Um, the people, uh, it's a billion years in Earth's future. What, what are they like? Are they human? Are they, would you call them quasi-human? Um, well... So that's an interesting question to start with because it's sort of one of the one of the big mysteries. Um they are human. Um and they generally look like what you and I would call a human. So uh how I guess the first question that the that the set, the setting kind of asks in a subtle way is how on earth can that be? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a billion years in the future. We, you know, even if you, even if you discard the idea that it's the ninth world and that there have been these prior civilizations, if it's a billion years in our future, surely humans should have evolved into something else. They should have died off. They should have left. They should have transcended something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that fact alone seems a little weird, but 
what's more, what what makes it even more concretely weird, a, a con- more a concrete mystery, mm-hmm. is that we're this is the ninth world, right? Mm-hmm. This is the ninth major civilization to rise up on Earth, and we know that some of those civilizations have been entirely not human. So there were at least portions of Earth's history, maybe millions of years, where there weren't humans on Earth. So that means that humans are back. Mm-hmm. And and what does that exactly mean? That's not a question that the setting answers, but mm-hmm. it is certainly one that it raises. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, so if they are human, uh, can we you know are there any kinds of uh specific ethnicities that we could recommend or recognize or are they completely new because of the the way the setting is i mean is there any uh blending of the current earth ethnicities or is that pretty much just open from the point of view of of a 21st century human mm-hmm. um the people of the ninth world we we would call the people of the ninth world like a mixed race. Gotcha. Um, you know, so uh, and, and I think that's pretty clear in Kieran's art. Um, yeah, you I see think so see elements in the different people that they've drawn that that have kind of you know uh, looks and feels that are that are not quite. You can't really put your thumb on where they might be from. From our point of view, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? yes. That that um, I, I love looking at Kieran's art because all of the characters, you know, you can't really look. And this is actually true of 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 all of our art. I hope uh, absolutely. Uh, you can't really look at someone and say, "Oh, that person is clearly a white guy," or "That guy is Hispanic," or mm-hmm. "That person is mm-hmm. you know, African." It it doesn't work that way, and it it shouldn't work that way, right? Because it's a billion years in the future Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of those kinds of reference points are, are gone. They're long gone. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the whole idea of, Oh, this is Northern European and this is South American, right? Mm -hmm. None of that has any meaning anymore. Sure. Sure. Basically a Republican nightmare. All right. So, um, (laughs) so we look at um, religions, um, uh, let's talk about religion or religions that may be out out there, uh, because obviously knowing that all these other worlds and uh, or, or uh, eras have existed uh, or even glimmers of it, uh, there's got to be some belief in something. So you guys can't see this, but every time you ask a question, Shauna keeps keeps pointing at me. <laughs> I'm you so you. <laughs> your secret has been ballooned <laughs> I know, but it didn't take him very long did it he always gives me away um i'll let monty talk about the order of truth but but i do want to talk about um some of the the so religion is interesting because while there's some organization within the steadfast everything else is is disparate and they're not connected and so you know having a, an organization that of any kind religious or otherwise that's that's large would be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course people worship what they know, which is mm-hmm. how many, many worship, um, many, many religions start. And so for example, we have this really great um, kind of scary group of people who live on an Island and they worship this giant 
um, underwater scorpion as their god. Well, um, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, right? Um, well, and, who prehistoric beast that actually existed that's this giant scorpion and it just seemed like such a wonderful way to exemplify their belief how their belief system has come about um and then there's another small small community out in uh the beyond that they they all live in very tall trees and they're up in the air and so they they worship this um sort of I hesitate to say tree goddess because that's sort of putting it in our terms, but mm-hmm. and they believe that um, that she protects them from falling, but they have to do all these sort of weird things to make that happen, and um, and so there there are lots of small religions that that grow organically out of what people's experiences. Very nice. Huh. One of the major themes of Numenera uh, in the Ninth World, mm-hmm. and actually I wrote a blog about this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the major themes is is isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this Sean, what is Sean is saying is exactly correct that they're, they're just, it's much more likely that when you go over the next hill and you find the village that you didn't even know was the people there, Mm -hmm. they probably have a completely different religion that you've never heard of, right? Because everyone is living in these isolated communities and, you know, religion is one of those things that that seems to kind of go hand in hand with human development. Um, but because there isn't a lot of, there aren't a lot of ways for people to communicate over vast distances reliably um, because it's a dangerous world um, and, and, and fairly uh, sparsely populated. Um, you know, there, there isn't a lot of ways to spread a major religion with one exception um, in the steadfast there is something called the order of truth, which isn't fully technically a religion, but it, it is sort of, well, at the time when we're talking about the setting, we're kind of seeing the order of truth as it is beginning to transform into a religion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Up until now, it has been uh, an organization of people who want to, try to understand these weird mysteries of the past, the Numenera, mm-hmm. and, and make use of them, right? To, to build a future. Mm-hmm. And um, what they've found is that, you know, there, there's so many obstacles to this. There are language barriers. There are, you know, distance barriers, all these things. And so as an organization, they have tried to try to overcome these barriers and they're starting to kind of realize um, their, their current leadership is starting to realize that maybe the easiest way of that is actually kind of selling themselves as a religion, right? A religion that worships the the past mm-hmm. basically. Um, and, you know, there's a billion years of past to, to worship there. So um you know the the you know that 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 all by itself is something that's a really interesting idea to explore, and that is the relationship that people would have to the past when they realize that there's just so much of it, you know more than you know we here in the twenty first century could even begin to grasp it's very cool and this this order of truth is led by the amber Pope as described in the amber monolith, correct. That's right. That's right. The Amber Monolith sort of describes the the genesis of that role. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was the first Amber Pope, and uh, 
that w- that took place hundreds of years ago, and now uh, the leader is still the Amber Pope. Mm-hmm. But it's a line. It's a it's the line of people like are correct. Okay. Correct. It's not the same. He's Very the cool. Pirate Roberts. Yeah, the Dread Pirate. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the real Pope is like. Yes. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Okay, so um, so. Shauna brought up the steadfast. Let's talk about the steadfast. Um, for those who are not in the know, um, two weeks, weekends ago, was it, was it just last week? I don't remember. Um, we premiered the, uh, the map of the ninth world, uh, on ninthworldhub.com. So, uh, if you want to open it up and follow along, uh, <laughs> you can, uh, pull it up and see some of the areas that we're going to specifically talk about. So, Shauna mentioned the steadfast, which is essentially the west coast of this uh, landmass, the, the extended that we can see. Um, and you're saying that is uh, the most civilized area. So far. It's so the far. most civilized area, area that we've made for the core book. Gotcha. Gotcha. Just- and and uh, a good analogy for, for some folks who, who don't know is that the portion that's showing is just – kind of the portion you're starting in and that, that I'm, I'm guessing that you guys will release in the future uh, more to, to travel outside of the bounds of what you've outlined in the core rule book. Is that correct? Well, maybe the Kickstarter um, uh-huh. sort of one of the last uh, stretch goals was for something we were calling the world book. Very cool. And the world book will greatly expand the area that the setting covers. Very cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. And, and, uh, to put it in perspective for those into the torment game, uh, my understanding is that the area that the torment game will go in is actually off the map that we have in the core book. Um, the primary area for the torment game, some of the torment game will almost certainly take place in the steadfast and the beyond as we know it. But, uh, you'll, you'll start, in an area off of the map, yeah. Very cool. And that's mm. towards the west for those following along at home. East. east, yes. I said west. I meant east. <laughs> Sorry. I'm looking at um, Christopher West's signature. In that <laughs> <laughs> we had a question on the Ninth World Hub. Somebody's like, that's strange. They're they're pointing out the west instead of the north. Wonder what that means. You know, it's uh, – no, that's that's his signature. That's <laughs> just <laughs> but, so happens to coincide with the direction. Yeah, right. So, um, well, cool. Uh, what kind of governments can we expect? Especially, I'm, I'm assuming the set, or, or from what I've read, the steadfast is a little bit more laid out in the. Is it nine countries that make this up? Make up this area? That's uh, nine kingdoms. Right. Kingdoms. My bad. No, no, that's. Um, no, but but countries is a is a totally fine mm-hmm. uh, term to use as well because not all. I mean, they they they're referred to themselves as kingdoms, but they're not all true kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there are two I think that are ruled by councils. Mm-hmm. So. And that's guess where I was going is if if they're kingdoms and or, or countries or, or regions, um, what kind of governments are we typically going to see in these? Well, we find that the steadfast is of, and and maybe maybe the beyond as well, but Mm -hmm. really the steadfast is it's a very class based society. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are there are wealthy nobles, and there are you know 
peasants and there are slaves mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere. And, you know, this is a, um, you know, it, it's very analogous to um, not even really medieval times uh, of our own history, but more like ancient times. Sure, sure. Um, you know, more like uh, the ancient Middle East and mm-hmm. those kinds of lands. Um, but yeah, we've got, uh, you know, the, uh, let's see, a queen who rule, who rules Navarine and a mm-hmm. king who rules, uh, gone. A 253-year-old queen, nonetheless. Right. <laughs> As you do. Kind of like in England right now, so. <laughs> no, no offense, no offense. Um, but you've mentioned before that democracy is not an unknown concept in this, uh, this world, right? Um, no, uh, but it's, it's fairly unknown in the steadfast. Okay. Um, there is, um, what's the land? The the closest it comes, we come to a democracy would be, um, hang on a second. I'm scrolling. (laughs) For some reason, for some reason, the name is not coming to me. Um, it's the really mercantile place. Oh, I think I know. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Did you like that? Um, Malave is Malave. the word is the place I'm trying to think of, which is kind of a it's kind of a, a a land in in sort of total turmoil. Um, but uh, there are some people who are pushing for for a more uh, you know. It, if not a true democracy, you know, mm-hmm. a, a rule of the people. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Now, uh, it's been asked before, is this, would you consider this largely an agrarian society? Um, yes, I would. Um, but there are cities. A- absolutely. Uh, but you'll notice that, you know, we, we give populations for all the towns and cities, and they're generally pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um and that's and that's very deliberate because it is it is mostly a as you say an agrarian society and it is mostly even in the steadfast mm-hmm. there's still a lot of isolated communities that really don't have a lot of contact they're they're totally self sufficient you know the the occasional merchant might you know dare the wilderness to go over there once in a while kind of thing but you know, travelers are, are are fairly uncommon in a lot of these places. Not everywhere, but in a lot. Very cool. And would you say? And I, I I'm gonna mispronounce it. The QI. How do you pronounce that city? Key. Key. Okay. Would you say Key is the largest city? Key is the largest city. Yep. And we've seen the map of that. That has was uh, revealed on the Kickstarter for Christopher West's map uh, uh, for new maps of Numenera. Right. Um, and, and it's also the headquarters of the order of truth. That's right. So, um, definitely going to be kind of the center of civilization. Would you say? In many ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's a, it's an interesting place because it's very, uh, well, I hesitate to use this word, but, but in comparison to other places, it's quite advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, it has uh, it's built on multiple levels and and they use materials that you know would be well beyond you know normal sort of 
medieval or ancient technology level, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, as these weird, um, uh, floating automaton things that supplement its, its, uh, security and police force. So it's, it's not your typical, you know, sword and sorcery kind of place. Very cool. And I guess that was kind of where I was going was what, how would you define the differences between someone who lives in a city versus someone who lives in a a village in this setting? That's a really good question. I think it's hard to, to say that as a generality because every place is so very different. Um, And, and, you know, one of the things that we really, I mean, we should have this kind of tack to our wall, but one of the things that we keep saying about Numenera is it's all about the weird. Mm -hmm. And so if there is ever a time when we can say, well, living in a city is like this and living in a village Mm -hmm. is like this, then we're not doing it right. Sure. (laughs) I like that. That's, that's, you know, one of the major things that has attracted me to the game is just the, the influences that you've pulled in the, the, uh, level of detail that's been applied and, and certainly the kind of encompassing world that's created. That's so different. Uh, very cool. One of the uh, things that, that is probably worth mentioning here is that from a gameplay point of view, the entire setting has been written uh, very intentionally so that it is, it's very easy for a game master to create a, a, a village, a town, or even a, a city of his own or her own and plop it down pretty much anywhere on that map. And that's not going to, that's not going to hurt anything that it, it's, it's design. you know, that that's kind of where some of that isolation comes from, right? That, mm-hmm. that even in, in, even in a place like the steadfast, there might be, you know, in the, in the kingdom of Draolus, right? There's almost certainly some kind of major town or something somewhere lying between Castle Surat and the, the city of Kordek. And, uh, you know, we just haven't told you what it is. Sure. And, and, you know, that might be just because, you know, uh, there wasn't space in the book, but it also might be because, um, you know, the, there might be people in Kordek who don't even know that it's there, right? Sure. That's how, that's <laughs> sort of a, how isolated it is. Did, it didn't make the map. Um, right. And, and that I definitely did get the feeling from this for as much as in detail uh, of the areas that you describe are, I did get a sandbox feeling of there's plenty of space to put whatever your own creations can be. Uh, yeah, that's I, really important to me as a designer. And, and us as GMs are very appreciative of oh, yeah. that openness. Um, yeah, I would say one of my favorite parts has been watching people come up with ideas before they even have the core book, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you get to see them come up with these great ideas. And sometimes it's like, oh, I wish I thought of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so to know that they're they're out there and that we've empowered them to play the game the way that they want to play by adding, you know, whether that's places or creatures or adventures or whatever it is mm-hmm. to the game, that's such an important and and rewarding part of it for me. That's one of the most fun aspects of even just playing the game um, or even just, you know, or, or just thinking about it, even not having uh, with, before having read any of the stuff, just knowing a lot of the concepts. Because uh, I, I know there was one uh, one playtest session that I was in uh, with with David where it's I, I was putting a character together and I just created this entire order of monks that uh, came <laughs> Came from the Gray Monastery that taught technology as a religion type stuff, and uh, it was this, uh, the, and it, and it worked. That was mm-hmm. the the beautiful thing. 
and uh, so it was it's it's really great when you can provide seeds for inspiration but not have to draw everything out necessarily it's it's very it's very important for me as a GM to find a way not to say no. And I, everything I've experienced in this game really enables the GM to not have to say no. That makes yeah. me happy. <laughs> yeah. You are allowed to color outside the lines. Yes. <laughs> you encouraged, right? Not just allowed, but encouraged to yeah. color outside the lines. So I think one thing that a lot of people um, may be wondering is, okay, so you have this world as a billion years in the future. There's spotty, new bits of Numenera technology throughout, but yet most of society is very agrarian, very, uh, almost bronze age, if, if you would, how, what is the level of the non Numenera tools in the daily life uh, in, in say the steadfast? Well, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the touchstone that I, that I try to give people is that it's, it's fairly medieval, mm-hmm. um, you know, from a sort of European uh, outlook. Uh, and, and part of that, well, there's a lot of reasons for that. From a, from a setting point of view, um, the, the, the ninth world, as we understand it, what we call the ninth world, isn't as old as uh, human civilization was in the real world when it reached medieval level. And so the implication there is because they have access to, to ideas and materials and whatnot because of the, the Numenera and the past, mm-hmm. they've sort of, to, to use a, a weird word, you know, they've kind of been uplifted, right? Sure. Like, like David Rin's books, they've, they've, mm-hmm. they've sort of been, artificially advanced a little farther than maybe they would have on their own if they had to learn to mine, you know, bronze and, or, you know, uh, uh, you know, mine bronze, but, um, you know, to make bronze and to mine for iron and, and whatnot. So, um, so, uh, but, but, you know, the real answer to your question is, is that that's almost impossible to answer because the Numenera have sort of, made their presence known mm-hmm. right throughout society right it it is it is it is different everywhere but it is yet in a very general way kind of ubiquitous sure. so so back to your previous thing so somebody uh, it's implicated somebody violated the uh, prime directive <laughs> <laughs> um that's my my one funny for the whole show um <laughs> so uh where was I going with this? Well, um, I, th- I think that actually very well leads into what I think you were probably going to talk about next with, with uh, how uh, it's everywhere. I, I, yeah, and that's what I was going to say is, is that the big differential with with the player characters versus the, the typical NPCs that you find is that their uh, affinity and ability to use new, the Numenera sets them apart? think so. Okay. And actually, I think it's, it's going to be one of the hardest... Pl- hardest things for players possibly to get is that while the players are going, what the heck is going on? Mm -hmm. Their characters are not because this stuff is in the world. You know, they look at the Numenera the way that we would look at fossil fuel, right? It's just something that's there that we use. We sort of know where it comes from, but we don't really care as long as we know how to use it. 
right? And some people are yeah. going to be like, no, don't use that. That's scary and dangerous and awful. And we're depleting the world. And other people are just like, we have to have it to sure. do these things. Sounds very um, much like fossil fuels. <laughs> yeah, very, very much. Right? And so I think that the, the player characters, you know, I mean, there, of course, are some player characters who probably grew up in some small town where they only had one kind of Numenera. And so this, if this is their first adventure into the world, they're going to be sort of surprised, but they're not surprised by the Numenera. They're surprised by that particular thing that they've never seen before. Sure. I, I, I think that that really hits on something that's, it's, it's part of, it's, it's really deeply ingrained in the setting. And it's part of that, that we talked about where the idea of the Numenera is is everywhere and and the experience of Numenera is everywhere but what will set the player characters apart is that the player characters will travel around and they will encounter lots of different things Mm -hmm. whereas your typical farmer will know about the three things that are you know kind of local to him and because he'll never leave his farm in his whole life Mm -hmm. that's the only experience he'll ever have with it. And, you know, one of the things that we sort of have built into the setting is this idea of that and it plays off of the isolation again, right? It, it plays off the local nature of, of certain kinds of discoveries. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got um, throughout the setting, there are these little claves of Aeon priests who are, you know, tied in with the order of truth that we mentioned. And these guys, uh, these, these men and women, um, you know, have devoted their lives to understanding the Numenera. And sometimes they come upon something and they really understand it. And sometimes they can reproduce it on their own rather than just finding it, you know, in an old ruin somewhere. And so it's not impossible to wander into a village that you've never been to before and find that they have some thing mm-hmm. that you've never seen before, but is it is old hat to them. Sure. Um, you know, uh, I, I keep using this as an example, but in an adventure that, uh, Shauna is writing right now, there are these, uh, these guys who are, they're basically lumberjacks and they're cutting down these big trees and they're hauling them off to these mills, but they have these, basically these rings that are, uh, like anti-gravity devices and they, use them to transport the lumber and the logs, mm-hmm. right? And those things kind of only exist right there for whatever reason. Um, and so when the player characters come upon them, that's bizarre and weird. But to the lumberjacks, that's just, uh, that you know, that's just old hat. That is the Numenera, right? And, and that might be the, you know, one of three items of Numenera they've ever seen before, but they're very familiar with that one. Mm-hmm. And I love using that example because it so typifies the ninth world uh, and the opportunities that you have to create a really unique uh, setting in your game, right? Because in any other sort of setting, if you had a culture that had anti-gravity rings, um, they wouldn't be using it to transport lumber, right? <laughs> they would be so advanced in every other way that they would have no need to go chop down trees. And so it it's so sort of un, unique. Uh, it, it is so, it, it's something that really makes the ninth world a very different kind of place. Well, well I mean, you've, you've said many times that 
a lot of what is used as Numenera may have had a completely other purpose, but it's it's taken up and used for this one thing. And, and that goes into a little bit what I want to ask you about ciphers. Um, they're known as, as one-shot items, um, but I guess my question is, how would you know what they do? Are they common enough that somebody says, oh, yeah, that's a, you know, disruptor ray. You know, how, how, and, and they can even take different forms. So how would you tend to know what it is before being able to utilize it? Well, that actually depends a lot on the, the player characters and who's with them. So sometimes mm-hmm. player characters are skilled in the Numenera. Sure. And so for them, they have, you know, they, they know enough about some of these things that they've seen that they can pick this thing up and pick this thing up and kind of try to put them together and see what result it has. Um, and of course, the more knowledge that you have um, in that in the Numenera, mm-hmm. the, the easier that is and the more complicated sort of things you can find and scavenge and make. Um, and then, of course, there are there are P- NPCs in the world who have mm-hmm. lots and lots of um, Numenera skill, including and especially the Aeon priests. Sure. And so, you know, if you if you have an Aeon priest with you, or if they can offer guidance on those kinds of things, um, and there's also some books, and of course, you know, there's trial and error. Sure. <laughs> well, and I guess that would be so. So PCs and NPCs with a, a, the Numenera skill are typically who's who's identified the item for you using kind of old school terminology. Right, and you have to remember too, and and and, and Shauna kind of touched on this, right? Lots of ciphers aren't necessarily like, oh, I found this item, and mm-hmm. I have to figure out what it does. Mm-hmm. But it's more like, well, I went up to this old machine, and mm-hmm. I tore out this part, mm-hmm. and this part, and this part, and I know enough about the Numenera that if I wire these two things together and slap this part on and put this part in this other part, mm-hmm. it's going to make a thing that shoots a beam of of dangerous energy. Yeah, I, I think the characters that, that can be chosen that actually can craft objects uh, really intrigues me and in how that would play in the game. Right, and if you think about that, like in terms of, say you open the hood of your car, right, and you're like, mm-hmm. here's this long stick mm-hmm. and here's this this rubbery kind of thing, right? And, and if you took those two together, you could make like a slingshot, right? But it's really the oil dipstick and and some belt that goes around something, right? But That's because you don't know how they're originally used, you'd just be sure. like, well, I'm going to shoot this in somebody's head. Sure. Um, yeah, that, and, that's so, about what happens whenever I try to fix my car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was right there. I was right there with you. And so someone with more knowledge of, of, of general sort of mechanics, even if they still didn't know what those parts did, they could make something much more complicated with different parts of, of you know, that were beneath the it's like everyone who has some Numenera knowledge is, has a little bit of MacGyver in them. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I, I think, and if I can just say, one of the things that I really like about this setting, and I, I think I may have said this before, but I'm going to say it again, uh, is, that, is how you have all of these devices that have been around for so long that they're just basically taken for granted uh, the, uh, when they're there. So they're not that uh, unusual to... The inhabitants, and that's something that uh, I, I really liked about uh, the uh, uh, one of the things that you've stated is as uh, an inspiration for for some of the setting for uh, a lot of Gene Wolfe's stories in the various uh, New Sun, Long Sun, Short Sun things uh, series, uh, where it's it's all written from a perspective of there are all these amazing things going on, but the narrator doesn't really go into detail about them because it's you know it's just very basic to what's going on. And so I enjoy that particularly because it seems a lot more well, uh, realistic, really, to tell you the truth. 
I, I agree. It's actually, it's funny, Sean and I were just talking about this not that long ago, right? It's, it's actually one of my pet peeves is when you have a character who lives in any kind of fantastical world, right? Whether you're talking about magic or, or whatever, right? And they're walking around just, con- you know, almost like the reader's advocate or, or whatever, right? Where they're just, yeah. this is so weird. This is bizarre. No, you live in this world, dude. <laughs> That's not weird to you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so our goal is, is, you know, to weird the players out all the time, um, but, but not necessarily the characters. Nice. We only weird the characters some of the time. <laughs> awesome. So we've, we've hinted on, um, we, well, we've talked a lot about the steadfast and general life in Numenera. So those following along on the map, um, the steadfast, as I said, is the, the West coast, uh, basically between the coast and, and the large mountain range, the the black, was it Riage? Mm-hmm. That's okay. right, Black Riage. Uh, and on the other side begins the area known as the Beyond, and, and obviously it's beyond the, the Black Riage uh, as a natural border. Um, describe a little bit more of, of, you've hinted on it, life in the Beyond, how it differs from the Steadfast. Well, I think, you know, I would say that it kind of starts from the ground up in a really basic sense, which is that, so the steadfast is between the sea and the mountain. Mm -hmm. And as far as the land goes, right, it's, it's very farmable in most places, right there, you have access to the ocean, you Mm -hmm. know, now that there's infrastructure, it's a little easier to get around. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you start looking at the beyond, and you start actually looking at the geography of it, it's kind of a wonderful mess. <laughs> um, and there are places, you know, when you when you actually look at like the landscape, it makes sense that it's so that things are so spread out. And part of that is because travel is hard. Part of it be- is because it's just not as easy um, to do things. I mean, we have places where there are you know, unseen lakes and there's, you know, fish without any visible water and, and places where the ground is constantly shifting and moving and, and fields of frozen flowers where you can't get across the, the ice. And so there's all these um, geographical elements that I think were sort of the impetus for why it's, it's as spread out as it is out there. Yeah. The, one of the things to remember about the ninth world and the fact that it is, it is so old and there have been these prior civilizations that were so incredibly advanced and powerful before is that the ninth world is sort of in a weird way. It's sort of this ecological nightmare Uh um, that, that the prior civilizations have just, you know, (laughs) sort of taken the world like it was a piece of putty and stretched it all out and done all these terrible (laughs) things to it. Um, And the people of the ninth world are sort of just left here and and you know with not just weird leftover ruins of of technology but you know whole areas of the globe that just you know like shauna said where the ground you know shifts and moves and undulates like a living thing you know that's a place called the amorphous fields you know or uh there's another place called the the cloud crystal sky fields where there are just these crystalline things that float way up high in the air um and nobody knows how or why or where those things came from, um, but it, they, you know their world is very very transformed. And and particularly when you get out into the beyond, you know you you can't really apply a lot. I mean you can you can try and and in places it works, but you can't always apply sort of 
a realistic knowledge of topography and and things of that nature because things have been so manipulated in so many different ways. Uh-huh. Right. And it could be, you know, I mean, th- who knows why, right? It could be some crazy alien race that terraformed something. It could be somebody came and, and ha- you know, they needed a certain kind of mineral for their planet. Some, I mean, it could be a natural thing. I mean, there's just so, we, we don't even know why it is the way that it is. And it, but it clearly wasn't designed. Mm-hmm. If it was designed, it wasn't designed for humans. It's, it, it's obviously, and, and seeing the, the pre-production copy of this core book, you guys have, as I said earlier on, applied some of the same uh, way of layout that, that started in Tallis. Um, as far as describing the areas, uh, giving uh, hearsay that might be heard in different areas, uh, the weird that may kind of stick out of a specific area, it's really much like, hey, here while you're in, you know, the bar, you know, check out this, uh, you know, uh, don't forget to stop at, uh, you know, Guillaume's tavern and get in, you know, it's, it's very, it has a great feel and, and, uh, it's, it's really going to be a remarkable breed for a lot of people. Uh, I, I think that it stands, stands out because of how different and how you've worked in these different elements together. Um, very nice. Thank uh, you. And then there's beyond the beyond. Um, uh, the area is even further than that, uh, the, with the uh, clock of Kala kind of being the big, again, natural border to this area. Um, right. What? So that was sort of our opportunity to show that as weird as things are in the beyond, there's actually an opportunity for things to get even weirder. <laughs> because <Yay>. there's, <laughs> there's this sort of impossible mountain range that appears, we don't see all of it on the map, but Uh we see a a small section of it on the map. Uh And it appears as though this entire mountain range is is a near-perfect circle. And the mountain range is basically entirely impassable, except that there is this one impossibly straight uh, pass through it, just called the Shear. And uh, inside this thing, which is called the Clock of Kala, is uh, a a land called the Agarkala. And this is this kind of ties into what we were talking about sort of at the beginning of this discussion because here we have an, basically an entirely different civilization of humans. Um, the, the people of the uh, Agarkala, who are called the Augurs, um, they, they almost seem like a different, a slightly different breed of humans um, as though they, they have a different origin and uh, you know, they live longer, they're healthier, they're uh, you know, stronger. Um, and Vegetarians. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> could, could be. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, it, you know, it kind of begins to give a little, you know, a little bit more hints of what, what's really going on and, and why there are humans here. And, and you know, could, because it's suggesting that maybe there are multiple origins for why there are humans in the ninth world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hear in, in the Agarkala, you know, we have uh, some really different things and, and it, that's sort of just the beginning of what we call the, 
beyond the beyond, mm -hmm. uh, which will take us, you know, farther off the map. And, and we hint around a little bit at, um, you know, to the north, uh, there's a, a society that calls themselves the, the Gaians. Um, and for some reason, the Order of Truth has decided that the Gaians are a major threat to the Steadfast mm -hmm. and uh, are trying to organize a crusade against them. You know, to the east, as we mentioned, um, are some of the locations that are going to be found in the Torment game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, to the south, we have lots and lots of ice. <laughs> uh, very it's nice. Very... And I love the, uh, you know, everybody loves a good crusade. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have a good crusade. I... Yeah. The, the whole fact that the Clock of Kala is just partially on the map it just kind of makes my inner completest twitch i'm like uh, <laughs> it's got more world guide can't Where come is it <laughs> that's the first time i saw that i was like oh ooh, dope, what's that my eye was immediately drawn to that on the map and i was just, my hand started shaking in the snow <laughs> <laughs> and and we're we're running long on time, so I don't want to get into the the creatures that you guys have devised are uh, amazing and wondrous and so different from anything else, and and each one is completely different from the other. It's really a nice mix um, that should certainly spur a lot of people's uh, uh, inspirations until the, the bestiary with even more weirdness uh, comes to fruition. So. Uh, Definitely. Uh, no, the book's coming very soon. The core book, uh, what PDF this coming week. That's right. And then the, the physical copy on the 14th, which wow, that happens to co correspond with Gen Con. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> how, how you guys did that. Yeah. Yeah. We hope that, that Kickstarter backers and people who have pre-ordered, um, will, will actually get their books before that. Um, sure. you know, we don't know because, uh, you know, we don't, we don't control, Shipping times and yeah. shippers, but um, we hope that uh, products will actually start shipping around the fifth or sixth, mm -hmm. uh, whatever that Monday is. I think it's the sixth, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know, so uh, we're we're just really excited to see it. I still we we still have not yet seen ah. <laughs> uh, copies of the of the printed book ourselves yet, mm -hmm. um, and we're we're dying to do so. We're actually expecting them tomorrow. Oh. oh. <laughs> to, to be at the, to be at the door when you open it in the boxes there, I, I, I totally expect to see some Twitter pictures or or something on Facebook of the oh, joyousness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. If you were pining for your Reaper bones, what were you? What would you do? <laughs> what would the look be for yeah. your own product to arrive? <laughs> He's gonna be like one of those Garfield things on the car on the window. Yeah. <laughs> awesome with the suction cup yeah, yes so there's an old reference but no it's good yeah sorry. Um, I'm, I'm showing my age now yeah. <laughs> here i've talked about the micro machine guy and the garfield yeah, all, right. Yeah. <laughs> old. all right so um we've covered a lot of ground and there's way more we could cover and oh, yeah. and i don't want to shortchange people but we also have to be respectful of everyone's time so we certainly we need to have you guys back sometime in the the near future um i know there's con season so we're going to be swamped with that for a while but um we hope to have you guys back soon because uh uh, there's so much more we can get into with this, and uh, I'm sure people would love to hear, especially after seeing the book, um, love to hear more. So maybe we can even do something like a, a, 
uh, collect questions from the from the world of uh, the Ninth World Hub, um, uh, and and go through some of that stuff uh, if you guys are open to that. Absolutely, yeah, that'd be fine. Excellent. All right. Well, um, it's been a, a supreme pleasure having you guys. Is there anything you want to add before? And I'm sorry, I'm I'm from the north. I say you guys. I apologize, Sean. <laughs> you guys, um, you guys, I'm, I'm actually been <laughs> yeah I've been down in the south for 27 years. You'd think that would rub off on me, but no. Um, so, anything that the two of you would like to uh, kind of wrap up uh, on the show with? Um, at, at this point, um, mostly what I would say is, uh, if you're coming to Gen Con, um, make sure that you, uh, if you're at all, if at all possible, come to the launch event on Thursday because. Uh, there's going to be some pretty cool uh, surprises. Very cool. Always goodies. Yeah. Um, and I would just say thanks for having us. This was super fun to to talk about the world. I feel like um, I'm still sort of in disbelief that it is printed and and waiting for us. So it's really fun to talk about it now that the work is finished. Mm. <laughs> it awesome. is it is beautiful, beautiful piece of work, you guys. Uh, I can't wait to see the final copy and final and hold the physical thing in my hands. But uh, uh, you should be very proud of this work of art. Thank you. Um, So we're going to be real quick here on our kicking it forward because, again, want to be respectful of time. Um, I did have one. uh, I actually ran into the guy running it the other day at a a local game store. Um, And it's a Ronin... And I just forgot the last part of it. But it's a Savage World... Thank you. Actually, yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, it is a Savage World settings, um, and uh, it's a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk, um, and it, it's a, a very worthy uh, title. From all the information I've seen, the art looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, so uh, I definitely uh, would suggest that people check taking that a check out and looking that one. And of course, Christopher West for the Numenera maps is nearly complete but uh it's still on i actually finally had my amazon payments cleared up today so i i i, I placed an order that i can't say how much in case my wife listens <laughs> <laughs> uh jim eric have any um you know i had uh go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, eric did you have something this is really your section typically so I well add a, add a I, I, I kind of like uh spent all of them last time and I, i'm not quite sure i'm gonna ah, talk okay. about ponies for pathfinder uh, <laughs> oh, come on everyone wants I, to hear about ponies for pathfinder. i mean everybody deserves their talk so i mean yes there is a setting handbook for ponies for pathfinder um you know, I, I won't say anything bad about it because I don't know. It could be the best mm-hmm. thing in the world. <laughs> it, it, could be the, it could be the most awesome thing in the world. It, it very well could be. And, and you know what? The sad thing is I'd probably play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I knew it. I knew That's that. Yes. Uh, and, and I know we discussed a bunch of them last time. Primeval Fool has three days left to go, and that looks to be a very um, – uh, interesting one that's not made its goal yet. So uh, I certainly recommend that to others. I'll probably contribute after we hang up here. I'll go ahead and just mention one or two. It's a, the life on Mars uh, is one that I didn't mention last time. Uh, that looks interesting story game about uh, where, you know, exploring what it might be like to leave the earth behind and, and uh, just basically have be on the first manned mission to Mars. Okay. So it's very, very sort of a self-contained story type thing. And it looks kind of cool. Uh, so you might want to check that out. Um, and, uh, 
Let's see. There's a Space 1889 uh, thing out, the uh, Kickstarter out, that uh, it's uh, from the UK, uh, but they, they can use Kickstarter now, so you can uh, look at that as well. And uh, so they're bringing it back with uh, new artwork, more background, new illustrations, new rules. And uh, so there is that. And uh, let's see, I also saw a universal storytelling system. A, a fellow is coming out with uh, that fellow named uh, Derek Knutson is uh, coming out with that. That's going to be uh, you grab a deck of cards and you do it, uh, do it that way. And so that looks like that could be kind of interesting as well. So you may want to check that out. Very cool. Monty and Shauna, have any you want to add? Um, uh, I, I gave mine last week. That's all you're getting. I would say, well, I thought I had two, but I think I only have one. One is um, Alice Otherlands by American McGee, who oh. is Ooh. who I absolutely adore. He He's done two games of Alice, and this is actually um, doing a feature-length film of Alice's story, which I'm, I'm super excited about. Oh, good. Uh, um, okay. very Thank cool. you for telling me about that. I must immediately look at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I'm, I love that dark, creepy art style that he has. It just, it's just Absolutely. very much my thing. Oh. And then the other one is not out yet, but it's, it's uh, broken. Eye books is going to be doing a Kickstarter called by fairy light, which is the anthology that I mentioned earlier that I'm in. And it has great writers like Kat Rambo and James Sutter um, and a bunch of other amazing, amazing authors. But I, it doesn't look like that one's up yet quite yet. Very cool. We'll have to keep a lookout for that one. All right. Well, um, again, thank you all so much for coming on. It, it certainly uh, is having such great guests such as you and uh, Charles last week and, and Colin a few few episodes back. Uh, I think has been one of the big differentials of why we got nominated for an NE. I forgot to mention that last week when I was giving my pseudo acceptance speech. So uh, <laughs> kudos uh, mm-hmm. and, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for supporting this uh, podcast and for uh, sharing information that I think really benefits and, and adds to people's understanding of Numenera because it's a fantastic project and, and I really hope more and more people can uh, – uh, you know, get into it and uh, it, it be the success that it deserves to be. Well, you know, I, I, I know I've, I've told you this privately. I don't think I said it uh, on the podcast, but I, you know, I still remember the day when, um, you know, very shortly after, I, I, in fact, I think the Kickstarter was still going on and for Numenera and someone said to me uh, something about, you know, well, I heard that on the, the, Numenera fan podcast, and I just went, "What podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was so flabbergasted, but in such a good way, right? I was so thrilled and flattered and everything that right out of the gate, um, you guys started this up, and 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 you know, so I immediately listened, and it was great, and uh, you know, so uh, every every possible award that you could win is is totally. Uh, 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 very well earned and, and justified. Much, much obliged. We're yes, humbled by that opinion. And I'll thanks very much. Talk. Thanks very much, man. That's that's, that's appreciate that a lot. So, we'll be there. We'll be the obnoxious ones hooting and hollering at the Emmy Awards for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. Um, I've already practiced my Wheaton. Okay. Yes. Sorry. No, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's never heard that before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I could be, I but could you know you're going to hear it that day. Yeah, absolutely. that's true. <laughs> um, it's mandatory. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's Mandatory Wheaton crying. <laughs> I, I also think the fact that we've been able to talk about uh, a subject that, you know, you have actually let out a lot of good information, Monty, about the game. Uh, you know, when people say they don't know too much about it, I'm like, go to the site. I mean, it's all there. You spell it out yep. very well. Oh, yeah. um, it, it gave us a, a ground to talk from and, um, and I don't want to keep us too long on this, uh, but it, it definitely allowed us to talk about it and talk about the possibilities. And, and that's really all we expounded upon is what you'd already written. So you've done a great job communicating to the the, the people that will be your players because I, I've yet to meet somebody who's really read up on it and, and said, yeah, nah, it just, yeah. Everybody seems passionate about it. I think I think you've hit a... a uh, a missing link, a missing nail in, in what people are looking for in an RPG. So I'll stop soliloquizing or see, I did it. I did it again. I said, a big <laughs> I couldn't hold it back. No, there was I couldn't. Only a minute to go. It's my man. nature. It's my nature. <laughs> that was so. kind of a soliloquy basically. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I murdered. Now, now we're going to make you rewrite it in iambic pentameter. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I hate iambic pentameter. All right. So, Y'all, thank you so very much for being on the show. Again, I've said it multiple times, but it needs to be said multiple times. And we look forward to seeing the finished product this week uh, in PDF form and physical copies as soon as the wind can carry it. And I personally look forward to seeing you guys at Gen Con and will represent the team as best as I can. And uh, hope for another new show uh, in the the near future. Our our next show is probably going to be after Gen Con. I'm hoping to do some recordings there and, and... some of them to, to talk about some stuff so we'll see how that goes so uh, tune in to us later and thank you for tuning in to us this time and signing off the transmissions from the ninth world podcast is not affiliated with Monty Cook Games it has been produced under the creative commons license and is for entertainment and information purposes only Music provided by Kevin McLeod. Transmissions from the Ninth World is a proud affiliate of the D20 Radio Group.